Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 283 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show has spent his career launching and developing new ventures at startups, Fortune 500 companies, and in academia. He helped to start the Undergraduate Practice Opportunities Program, dubbed MIT's Career Success Accelerator, and at Harvard Business School, he helped to create a platform used to teach finance at prominent business schools. And most recently, he has authored the Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success that No One Taught You. So it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Mark Hirschberg. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Mark, obviously that's a, a very general and brief sort of overview of your career. Could you perhaps you know, g- give us a bit of a, a flavor behind that sort of brief introduction? Sure. I think of my career as having two parallel paths. Now, the first path is a somewhat standard IT career. I came out of MIT in the mid-90s with a couple technical degrees, and I began my career as a software developer doing different startup companies, and I've moved up. I've been a CTO. I've authored a bunch of patents. I've starred companies, turned around companies, very standard tech across multiple industries and technologies, and I love doing that. At the same time, I discovered there was something missing. I used to hire people. This is about 20 years ago. I'd hire them. And during the interview process, I'd ask a technical question and I'd get a technical answer. And then I would ask, what makes someone a good teammate? What are the communication issues we face as engineers? And I would get blank stares. And I realized These were questions that we never teach anyone. I only happened to learn it because as I knew I wanted to become a manager, I had to focus on this. And so I have this parallel career with the class I created and teach at at MIT and the book and some of the other volunteer work really building a lot of the non-technical skills, sometimes referred to as soft skills, power skills, to supplement our core engineering knowledge. Right. Okay. So yes, it sounds like very much that the, what you're talking about there fits very well with the the um, overall purpose of this podcast. So we'll probably move into that now. So Mark, can you perhaps give us um, a career tip, one that the audience may not be aware of and perhaps should be? Well, I'm going to illustrate it with one particular tip. Imagine if you just spent a little time learning to negotiate. And in doing so, you go to your next job and you negotiate a little better, instead of getting a job for, say, $80,000, you get $81,000. And you do nothing else. That $1,000 over the next 30 years of your career just generate $30,000. You're not the world's best negotiator. You're just a little better, and boom, tens of thousands of dollars. Now, of course, it's not just going to be one negotiation in your life. And in fact, just learning to negotiate a little better is going to add literally tens of thousands of dollars to your career. But of course, negotiations, this is the most obvious case, but being a stronger communicator, a better leader, having a stronger network, all these skills tie in. They're not going to be as obvious as negotiations in that 
oh, that got me this much money instantly, but they're going to help get you promoted faster, get you more responsibility, and ultimately give you more opportunities to grow and develop your career. And it's going to be additive over time. It's going to have a massive impact. So we need to keep up with our technical skills. But the 50 or so hours a year you spend on your technical skills, take about 10 of those hours, either addition or instead of, and devote it to a few of these other skills, and you're going to get a massive ROI throughout your career. Right. Yes, I, I totally agree. Um, and negotiation is a great um, example as well. It's probably not a subject we cover that often um, on the podcast, but negotiation, obviously, you've given the example specifically around salary, but negotiation is typically part of any um communication particularly when you come to things like meetings and project work and getting things done so um presumably you see that as part of negotiation as well absolutely i give the salary example because for most people early in their career they think of negotiation as sitting across the table and it's something linear like numbers but to your point once you've began to study negotiations, again, not that you're a world-class expert, but you just began to understand them, you recognize you are negotiating every single week and you find all these opportunities and they're not all, okay, more money for me is less money for you, these linear zero-sum negotiations, but you find these opportunities with your teammates, with other parts of the company, with partner companies, whether they're partners, suppliers, vendors, customers, what you start to do is find opportunities to create more value and thereby deliver more value to your company. And once you have this mindset, these opportunities are all around you. So you'll continue to develop faster and deliver more value. Right. I might put you on the spot slightly here, but can you maybe give um, maybe a tip around negotiation skills? Is there anything specifically that you would recommend somebody does to begin sort of that process of understanding how negotiation works? Well, certainly I'd recommend reading some book out there, watching a YouTube video, just investing a little time. But to, to give you something more concrete, negotiation should have preparation. We never play a sport or do public speaking or engage in most activities without some prep work, right? We never start our software projects without some planning meetings. Your negotiation is the same. Before you walk into a meeting where you know you're going to negotiate, Spend even just 15, 30 minutes sitting down thinking, what am I asking for? What's my justification for this? What might the other side want? What are their justifications or interests? And you'll be much better prepared. Indeed. And I think that the key point you've made there is actually the, the, the point of the negotiation is that it has to benefit both sides. Absolutely. We should never think of I am negotiating against this other person. I am negotiation. I am negotiating with this other person so that we together can find a solution we want and we benefit from. They are my partner, not my adversary. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, and Mark, can you share with us your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? I would say probably one of my worst moments had to do with losing a political battle. One, I didn't even realize I was fighting at first. And it was early in my career. I was leading a team. I was very quickly growing an IT organization. I was, I think, the seventh hire. I had about three people and was told to grow to 25 in the next few months. So I was rapidly hiring people. And we brought someone on. 
And my CEO said, my CEO knew the guy. He said, look, he doesn't really want to work for us. He wants us to hire him and he'll start his own company. But don't worry, I'll talk to him and I'll straighten it out. And I wasn't part of that. And whatever the conversation was, I don't think the CEO resolved it well. So I had this guy under me who really didn't want to report to anyone in the company. And that was a big thorn in my side that caused a lot of problems. And the CEO didn't do a good job of, I think, managing that. Uh, and so really, it's, this is common. It's not the technical challenges that are problematic. I've gone in and had to replace hundreds of thousands of lines of spaghetti code. I've dealt with messes. But it's the people issues that are always the most difficult parts of engineering. Yes. I mean, that, that's an interesting example, particularly when um, the CEO knew that the, the guy had a you know, an, an, a sort of a preference to do something completely different. So how, how did that turn out? Presumably not great. The CEO said, as it came to a head, the CEO said, okay, listen, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to not have a report to you for a bit. We're going to let him run his own team. And look, we know he's not good. And he tried to like it back to the class I teach at MIT. Now, the class at MIT, we have the students engage in activities and fail a lot because it's in that moment of failure that they learn it wasn't just about doing the math or the engineering, there was more to it. And so he said, it, just like your class, we're gonna let him do this for a couple months and he's gonna fail and then we'll say, well, this is why you have to report to Mark. And I remember my thinking was, well, that's great for the classroom, I know this works. We're a business, you don't say, let's waste a couple man months of work to prove that this person has to report to the person he's supposed to report to anyway. And I kind of said, look, if this is how you're, you're doing it, I don't think this is a, a fit. There were a couple other things uh, too long to get into. And so departed the company because I just didn't feel this was the environment I wanted to work in. Right. Okay, fine. And, and presumably from that, you, you obviously didn't or make sure you don't put yourself in a similar situation in the future. So I will say one of my weakest areas is corporate politics. And I went from being completely blindsided in that case to in a later case, I saw it coming and I did better, although I made a couple missteps in the way to the third case, uh, the third time I had to deal with politics, a third company. And by that point, because I had really practiced and learned and engaged the skill of mine, I was able to didn't quite see it coming. It definitely blindsided me with some conversations I wasn't expecting, but then was able to react and reestablish uh, what I was trying to do. So like all our skills, we advance in them by learning and practicing them and getting better over time. Yep. Okay, good. Right. So Mark, can you share with us your IT career highlights? There have been a number of really fun things I've done over the years. Uh, certainly the most maybe telegenic would be I helped to track down terrorists and cyber criminals on the dark web. And that was certainly fun building a system where we did intelligence gathering and being privy to some interesting data, at times some horrific data. So that was certainly exciting. Helping to launch uh, new business units at NBC and Sears, that was kind of interesting because they're large corporations. Interestingly, uh, Sears, the, the guy I worked for there, George Cole, was a great leader and so much more open-minded and innovative. 
But those presented interesting challenges because it wasn't just about building a technology the way we do in startups. It was fitting it into a larger bureaucracy. And then, of course, starting the teaching program at MIT, doing the work at Harvard, and just some other fun projects along the way. Right. Yes. I mean, it sounds like you've had a really diverse um, number of experiences across different areas and sectors. I have. And that's something I enjoy. I really love cybersecurity, which is what my graduate degree is in. But I also like going into different industries. And for people who do, you get the benefit of seeing different perspectives and then showing up with different tools because you've learned different ways to approach a problem. Yes. Yep. Understood. Okay. Um, so what one thing excites you about the future of a career in IT? IT, of course, is a field that's going to continue to grow for decades. Just as more industries move online, as we get more devices, more data, there's going to be more code and support that needs to be there. So I think it's a, a field with a huge potential. I will warn that pure low-level software development, it is becoming less of a profession and more of a vocation. And this is something important to keep in mind. There's nothing wrong with vocational skills. But to do more basic programming, I don't think you necessarily need a four-year college degree. You can take more basic classes. A two-year degree is fine. The boot camps I don't think are sufficient, the ones that I've seen. But you can have these vocational skills where you go in and write code, and that's fine. To certainly advance up, you're going to need that larger perspective that you do get from a bachelor's degree because you have to understand the business context in which your software fits. Yes. Okay. Um, in terms of demand as well, do you feel that's um, going to increase or, or pretty much stay the same? I think it will continue to increase. One of the questions will be where, and this gets even more interesting with COVID and there are lots of discussions as I'm sure everyone has been privy to about Will companies move to more global hiring or will they stick to their regional area? And that's to be determined. But I think we're going to see a lot more development, not just in Western Europe and the U.S. We're going to see continued growth in markets such as China, India, even Africa, South America. We're going to see a lot more demand for those types of jobs. And it will be interesting to see what type of downward wage pressure that puts on U.S. and European jobs. Yes, no, I think you're right there. That that will be um, something we'll probably see over the next sort of ten to twenty years, I should think. And this is one reason why, if your only value is just writing code, there's someone else in the world who can write the same code cheaper. But if you can think at these higher levels, if you're not just able to write code but can think in the business context, you're going to provide more value than just some random person in the world who can write the same code. Yeah, that's very true. Okay, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. You ready for this? I'm ready. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? When I was very young, I wanted to be a physicist, and I do have one of my undergraduate degrees in physics. I was also interested in law, and I, I wanted to take the justice elective in my high school. wasn't offered that year, and so my guidance counselor seeing me hesitate to come up with an alternative because I didn't have a plan B. She said, tell you what, why don't we sign you up for programming? I thought, ah, I don't know, this doesn't sound great, but all right, I can change it later. 
And I was kind of lazy. I didn't see any other options. But I showed up to class that fall and got my first programming assignment and said, oh, this is kind of interesting. And that's what led me down the path to also wanting to start studying computer science. Okay. And what is the best career advice you've ever received? I would say focus on who you work with. I would much rather be at a company where I am surrounded by smart, engaging people working on what seems like a very boring technology or boring project than some exciting technology where the people are not people from whom I will learn or continue to grow. Yes. And what is the worst career advice you've ever received? Oh, that's a good question. I'm trying to think bad career advice. I have been told uh, you need to specialize. And I think there's a double-edged sword there. Certainly, there is something to be said for specialization. And people have had great careers where they specialize. I have a friend who's not just a data scientist, but specializes in a particular area within data science, does extremely well in Silicon Valley, is in very high demand. And we all know experts in technology uh, can have fantastic careers. At the same time, I think there is value in diversity. And I think those of us who have diverse careers, whether across technologies or across industries or with a larger set of skills, have our own set of value that we deliver, which is distinct from the experts. So I think that advice, while not bad, was not robust enough to, to give me the proper perspective. Yes. Okay. And if you were to begin your career again in today's world, what would you do? I definitely would have focused on some of these skills earlier these skills such as leadership and communication, negotiation, networking, they have just really helped me be much more effective. And I think back to how I was in my 20s and these opportunities that I just missed and didn't capitalize on because I didn't have the understanding or the skills to make the most of them. Yes. I mean, that that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because obviously a lot of that's gained in sort of retrospect um, through experience. That is true, but the most important thing, and this is why we teach the class at MIT and what we, what we focus on, we can't teach all of these skills to our students in the short time we have. But the goal yeah. of that class is to change the mindset. We spoke earlier about how once you begin to think about negotiations, you recognize you're negotiating every week. And when you see these opportunities more often, that gives you more chance to practice your skills and develop them. And I think I had the mindset, and this is typical of engineers, with engineering, there's one right answer. We, maybe it's two or three, right? Doing some space-time trade-off this way or that way. But there are right yep. and wrong answers, and we see the world in a black and white way, and that's it. And we focus on just doing it this prescribed way. But when we look at these other skills, when we take that broader view, we realize there's a lot of complexity and subtlety. And once you expand your view set, you can see other types of opportunities that weren't necessarily prescribed within our engineering mindset. And so it's not about, as you point out, you're, it's going to take time to develop those skills. But once you just broaden that perspective, that's the key. That's the shift that's going to let you develop these skills faster. Okay. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? For myself, I continue to work as 
Uh, a CTO, I typically like working in cybersecurity. That's a growing field. That's one I enjoy and aligns my background. But at the same time, I've been very passionate about helping people develop these other skills. That's why I've taken the lessons from this class at MIT and some of the other teaching I've done and put into a book, because I think we're all going to be much more effective if we can make these skills much more widespread. Yes. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? I think communication has been probably the best. It's hard to say because all these skills really do build on each other. My communication helps my negotiations. My negotiation helps my leadership. My leadership helps with uh, my, my teamwork. But communication, once we understand how different people communicate, how they see things and look at problems, which is different from how we look at, it lets us find larger solution sets and creates more opportunities to to find more creative solutions, solutions more people can buy into, and again, deliver more value to our companies and our customers. Yeah. And, and when you talk about communication, presumably you're talking about um, different mechanisms as well, not just you know communication in general. Yes. And this is not simply being a better public speaker. That's certainly a useful skill. It's not just writing better emails, but it's really understanding how people communicate and how yeah. to how to hear them, how to communicate your ideas more effectively. And this is something we commonly see in engineering in that we can talk to other engineers and we can talk about something like a space-time trade-off or we can talk about you know why we're going to have a scaling issue here or why this data science model fails at this limit. And we throw it on technical terms that other engineers can understand. As we become more senior, we work not just with other engineers, but with people from product, from marketing, from sales, from customer success. And we need to learn to communicate these technical ideas in non-technical ways so they can understand, give us their input, and then translate their needs back into technical requirements for the rest of our team. Yes, and that's a very good point. It's about tailoring the message, isn't it, to your audience? 100%. Yeah. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? For myself, working at startups, as I generally do, or large companies playing startup, it means the job is always changing. My idea of a nightmare is to go to some big corporation and be told, we just released version 7.0. Your job is to get version 7.1 out and try to get 3% growth. Going, oh my God, Like, let's figure out what buttons to add. I like startups where who knows what things are going to be like in 12 months, even six months. We might pivot the whole company. We might lose a major customer and then have to scramble and find others, but then discover a new opportunity that's even better. We might find that we get scaling problems, engineering problems, hiring problems. It's really fun just to have to deal with different challenges each and every day. So that, that keeps me excited. That's why I like generally doing the smaller companies and the startups. And what do you do in your spare time away from technology? I keep busy with a bunch of different things, at least in non-COVID times. I've been teaching classes at MIT and elsewhere and really enjoy that. I keep up with a lot of different reading. 
I used to do a lot of entertaining. I'd have people over typically every other month for a large gathering, or we'd do smaller things such as a game night or a dinner party. I'd go out to conferences similar to TED Talks. I go to something called Renaissance Weekends, where I just engage with a lot of different people from different fields and expose myself to a bunch of different ideas. And then I do various volunteer work. So I'm on the board of Techie Youth, where we're trying to help people in the foster care system and at-risk youth develop IT skills so we can get them into a career in IT. And I'm involved with uh, Plant a Million Corals, where we're trying to repopulate the world's coral population. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a little bit different to everything else you've mentioned. Well, I like a little variety. And when I met the, the scientist behind it, I and everyone else said, you have to start this nonprofit. You have to save the world. And we talked him into it. But we promised him if he would do it, we'd give him support and guidance. <laughs> okay. And Mark, can you share with us a parting piece of career advice? Create a career plan. Too many people... I've seen just kind of say, well, I'd like to be that senior engineer. I'd like to be an architect, maybe a manager. And they just hope, well, if I work enough, eventually I'll find the job. And that's not sufficient. You need a plan to get somewhere. We never do our IT projects by saying, well, if we just keep working at it, eventually we'll have something to release, right? You have a plan about what we need to put into this project, when we're going to do it, and how we're going to deliver it. Now, of course, we know that plan will never work out as we began it. We know it's going to change along the way. And the same is true for your career. So create that plan where you say, this is my release, right? This is a job I want to get to, whether it's your next job or two or three down. What are the requirements for that job? And you can look at job descriptions, but also talk to people in that role or similar roles to find out the unwritten rules, the other skills that might not go into a job description. Now you've got your requirements list. And then you say, okay, if I want this job in three years, I know I'm fine over here, but these other skills, I need to get stronger in this technology, or I need to learn how to be a better leader, or what other skills you need, and create a plan whereby you're going to develop them. And of course, adjust it as you go, because what you began today, six months, a year from now, take a moment, adjust that plan, because things will have not worked out exactly as we thought. But having that plan is going to yeah. lead you to a better chance of success. It is, definitely. Um, just just on that as well, um, obviously there, there's um, – well, people think of, you know, how they might progress their career um, within the company they work within, but also, you know, where they might take their career externally. Do you, do you, is there a different approach depending on what you're trying to achieve? It is really the same. The fact that you are staying at one company versus going to another, or I also say whether you're a consultant or a full-time employee, that's really just between you and the IRS. It's just a matter of who's signing your paycheck, right? So if you say, this is where I'm trying to go, certainly if you're in a big company, you might have support from your managers, from HR, and they might be able to guide you. You'll also understand the company. And when you show up, you'll have those internal connections to the company. Whereas if you join a new company, you might not have that, but the plan for yeah. getting there will be the same. Great. Okay. Good. Um, and Mark, how can we find out more about you and connect with you? You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. And from there, you can find more information about the book, 
about the free app that contains a lot of the advice that we've talked about here as in the book, you can reach out to me, follow me on social media. There's also a bunch of free downloads and links to other resources so you can start to develop these skills on your own. Mark, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you. It's been wonderful to be here. Hi, Phil here again. Just a final few words from me. Firstly, I'd like to thank my guests for sharing their career tips, experiences and insights with us on the show today. As you probably know, there have been more than 200 guests on the show so far, and I'm continuing to try to attract new guests that can provide great insights to all of us. However, to enable me to do this, I need to ensure that the podcast continues to grow and reach an extended audience. And you can help me in doing this by subscribing to the show and providing a rating and review in whichever platform you listen to. Thanks again for your support. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.